watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have four movies for you. Thor Ragnarok, A Bad Mom's Christmas, Novitiate, and BPM. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Um, Jason, we are coming off of, uh, what I think one of your favorite holidays, maybe? Mm-hmm. Halloween? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how was your, uh, how was your Halloween? Well, thank you for asking. You know, Halloween, I wouldn't, it, I think of it as like a working holiday in a lot of ways, because over the years, Scott and I have sort of, um, set the bar pretty high for ourselves with our, our costume every year. And I should also add, I'm not a costume person. I don't enjoy, per se, the process of putting together a costume because I I guess in the same way that I don't necessarily enjoy writing because it's something that I take very seriously, I feel the same way about costumes. I can't half-ass at karaoke, mm, same thing. Mm-hmm. The things that people get simple joy from in life, I drain all the joy from. Uh, so, um, but with that all said, uh, Halloween is also very special. Don't ever go to a sex maze with Jason. With that all Let said. Uh, I get really hung up on like the right angles and, uh, you know, and whose turn it is for it doesn't matter. But so, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and Halloween is my also- left or your left. Sorry. <laughs> um, Halloween is very special to Scott and I as well, because it, we think of it as our anniversary because mm. we met on Halloween in 2006 and uh, we made Halloween weekend our wedding weekend three years ago. Today, we're taping on November 2nd, which is our actual wedding anniversary, three years. Happy anniversary. Thank you. It's like pulling teeth with you. Uh, <laughs> so, um, sorry to make a teeth joke. I know it's uh, too Which soon. tooth? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like they're all a little shaky. Um, so I'm holding on for dear life. <laughs> um, so this year. Well, pretty much every year we just like think about what movies or TV shows we were really obsessed with that year. Mm-hmm. And then we sort of just try to make a costume out of that. And this year we did the same thing, which was Big Little Lies. Uh, mm. And, uh, you know, it was it was a thought had, I feel like on the back burner, it's always Strangers with Candy. Oh, we're, always. We're always like, well, we can't think of anything that we like this year. We'll just finally do Strangers with Candy. Although I was like, I'll be Jerry and you be, uh, you be Jelly Neck. And, oh, he's, of course. and he's like, oh. oh, no. He's like, oh, no, we would both be, we would be the guys. We would be Jelly Neck and, uh, and what's Stephen Colbert's name on the oh show? Oh, my God. Why am I blanking? You're blanking? <laughs> I'm blanking on that Strangers of the Candy reference. I did that on purpose. Um, what is Stephen Colbert's name? Oh, God. I oh, feel, my gosh. I feel awful. Um, Noblet. Yeah. Chuck Noblet. No, yes. Thank you. Oof. Oof. So yeah, we were going to be, you know, he's like, we have to be Noblet and Jelly Neck. He's like, who could we ask to be Jerry? And your name was floated. <laughs> uh, I would ne- I would make a terrible, I think I'd make a better Chuck Noblet. Mm. Oh, that's, that's, that's a funny thing to imagine. I like, I like where your head's at. Thank you. So, but this year what we did, <laughs> she's doing the way Chuck Noblet does the calculator right now. Yeah. Uh, which Colbert still does Would on you his call show me? to this day. <laughs> so, um, so we decided to do Big Little Lies. And I had the idea that we would do the finale look that is uh, worn by Reese Witherspoon and Adam Scott in the roles of Madeline and Ed. Because I thought it seemed easiest, frankly. Mm, Because mm -hmm. all she wears is just like a men's tuxedo shirt and like an eye mask. I'm like, I can do that. (laughs) And all Scott wanted to do was get a Hawaiian shirt and white pants. He can do that. So, you know, we went for it. And, uh, you know, there was a lengthy process of getting multiple wigs uh, until the right one was found. (laughs) 
And uh, and then yeah, just gearing up for the big night, going out in the town, wearing our big little lies outfits. And I was, were you wearing pants? I uh, no, I was wearing hose. Oh yeah. Are those, does those count? Is that legal? Uh, I mean, if Reese can do it, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, yeah, I I and they're basically like I was wearing underwear under them. Uh, <laughs> I know you're imagining me without underwear in your mind, mm-hmm. so I'll mm-hmm. just scrub that right out. Mm-hmm. They were on under the hose. Or over them, I can't remember which. But um, so I had hose on under the shirt, and uh, we went to a house party, and it was um, it was a, a, a friend a friend of ours a Harry Potter themed party, mm-hmm. and it was in particular it was a lesbian Harry Potter party, which mm-hmm. I had not been to before, which was great fun, but no one knew what our look was. Oh right, no because one, no one cares about that show in our community. Apparently not. Um, and by if you mean lesbians, yes, yes apparently uh-huh, lesbians yeah. don't care. No, I I haven't seen it. Uh, and although I did, when people would ask, I would say the Big Little Lies, and they would go, "Oh, oh right, yeah, you know, I did watch that. Okay, yeah, I remember that look." I'm like, "Thanks uh, for this underwhelming <laughs> reaction." Then we went to Oasis for their annual Peaches Christ and Halloween uh, Peaches Christ Nicolina co-hosted Halloween party, and I'm like, "Okay." These are going to be our people. We are going to get stopped for pictures so much tonight. There's probably going to be other people dressed exactly like us. It's going to be so embarrassing, but fun. We go to Oasis. Nothing. Nothing mm. at all. Not a single person stopped us, said anything to us. Um, we went on stage. We were there with some friends who were wearing Beetlejuice costumes. Um, one was Miss Argentina. Mm-hmm. And one was that look that Alf Baldwin does where he shows his hand up into his head. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, and they were getting stopped every two minutes. <laughs> Was it a good costume? Were, they did look great. Uh, and, and so we we're like standing there taking pictures for them. Uh, <laughs> and someone like assumed we were also somehow part of Beetlejuice. I'm like, no, this, oh, is, this is not Beetlejuice. This must have been the worst Halloween ever. And I insisted on going up onto the stage uh, for the Best in Show costume contest just because I wanted to tell everyone who, who we were. Wow, you're that guy. Yeah, I was. I'm and, not surprised. And Nicolina like, walked up to me and like, moved the mic away from her mouth. And she's like, I'm sorry, what's your look? I'm like, Big Little Lies. And she's like, oh, Big Little Lies, everyone. And there's like a smattering of applause. I'm like, God damn it. So here I am thinking that Halloween is lost. Uh, that, you know, after all these high riding years, that this is the end of the road for me. But then, surprise, surprise, on, uh, I posted the picture Sunday morning. Because you insisted somebody see this. Because That appreciate it. Well, I had a sense, like Saturday night, I told like our friends, I was like, I feel like my glory will come on social media for this look. Uh, That is literally the words I used. Mm -hmm. I said, my glory will come on social media for this look. And, uh, and so then on, uh, and then Reese Witherspoon had posted on Instagram. She had posted a few fan looks because there were, if you look at the hashtag Big Little Lies on Instagram, you will see that I was one of thousands and thousands of basic white bitches who wore that exact outfit. Yeah. I feel like your audience would have been like a house party in like the South Bay. Or just, or like the marina. I mean, yeah. like, well, let's just mm-hmm. say, let's just call a spade a spade. Mm-hmm. I should have gone to the marina. Mm-hmm. In the marina, I would have been stopped by women everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as you uh, normally are. As I normally am. Um, store detectives. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So then uh, Reese has been posted that she was looking at the pictures and enjoying them. And I was like, oh man, I hope she sees our look. Then she liked it. And commented with three shining stars. So I'm thinking, it can't get better than this. It's Mm-mm. not possible. But she had also said that she's going to be posting 
uh, her favorites after Halloween. And so Scott and I were like thrown into turmoil by this. We just talked and talked and talked about like all the reasons. Like what have I said about Reese Witherspoon's brother? (laughs) We talked and talked and talked about all the things that like all the reasons why she would or wouldn't consider us, why she and why she would or wouldn't post us. And I was like, God, maybe my handle is a liability for her because it contains a slur. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, don't like saying it. And I know you don't like saying it, but it turns out it's not a problem for her um, because she posted us. We made it to her favorite. That's amazing. Um, as you guys may already have noticed, because I have been very loud about it have, on yeah. a variety mm-hmm. of channels. Um, but like, yeah, it's fucking crazy. We are one of only six. Those carousels hold 10. <laughs> if I were those other people, I'd be furious. It's sort of like how like for Did best you pick- also get liked when you were Lena Dunham? Did you get like Lena, Lena Dunham, Dunham also regrammed us and uh and that one I don't know which one's better now because Lena Dunham regrammed just us and that was like the mm. first time the girls was getting Halloween costumes and she said regram of my favorite Halloween Hannah and Adam and it was me and Scott. Man, um, you guys are really... What's next year? I don't know I yet. I guess we'll see what, what, yeah, what comes out pressure. this year. It's too much pressure. I feel like I know how Barry Jenkins feels. Let me tell you, because I don't know. I'm going <laughs> to... Maybe I'll do James Baldwin like he's doing, but uh, but no. Nah, it, it's, let's not. <laughs> um, but, mm. uh, but no, because, well, I mean, I, the Lena one was kind of better because she posted both of us, mm-hmm. and we were her only favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is Reese Witherspoon. And the funny thing is, Lena Dunham liked her post, and so I'm just like, do you remember me? <laughs> wow, what a flirt. Yeah, that's me. You know, I like to crank up the charm. Arm. Uh, so yeah, it is. It's been it's been a wild time, and wow. uh, and so far I have not had any new business offers come my way as a result of being on Elizabeth's mm. Instagram. But mm. you didn't put the the podcast branding on the photo. Well, I mean, it's on. My, I link to it from my Instagram page. Um, so if any of you are new listeners, brought about by Elizabeth's been posting my picture. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Welcome, Rebecca. What's up with you? Um, my Halloween costume was one that. Um, I had wanted to do, let's see, um, my entire life, and I finally did it. I don't even know what it was. Oh, um, I was a priest. You're kidding me. No, I'm serious. Oh, my God. Um, it has been, um, you know, just a, it was a dream come true. Um, so I uh, generally don't like Halloween, and I don't like dressing up. I'm not very crafty, and so I feel like I would need to, like, spend a lot of money to buy, like, the whole thing, and... Um, but then I always get kind of so it's the same pattern every year where I, I start thinking about it way early and I'm like, what should I be? What should I be? And then I and then I don't do anything. And then the day before I'm like going to those stores and trying to find like whatever fake blood capsules left. And it's usually terrible. And so for years and years, I just had this taco costume I put on. And so, you know, because I've done the no costume and got a ton of shit for that. Um, and I, I just I doesn't I don't like it. I don't like feeling like I'm I look weird. This is because I'm an adult. It's because oh, this it's is that your, adult oh, thing. Here it is again. It's that adult thing. It's oh, not because I'm. It's that. It's co- that same feeling that comes up. Anyway, it's a complex. Anyway, um, so this year I I was like, okay, what can I do that involves um, like not really getting anything? <laughs> um, and it just so happens I have black pants and a short sleeve black button up and a and a piece of white paper. <laughs> Um, so it's all this time you've been dressing like a priest already. Yeah, My, mine is just a little white collar. That's it. Uh, white collar and uh, my older glasses. And um, and then I uh, I found some of that like gray hairspray stuff that like a friend of mine was using. So put a little gray in the temples. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll show you a picture and uh, see what Please you think do. about it. 
Um, so what? yeah, it was a, I mean, I feel like when, it, you, when you looked in the mirror where you're like, who's that handsome devil? Oh, um, I was just like, I miss my calling. That's wow. a life I couldn't have, could never have had. And, uh, and today I had a touch of it. It's not too late. I mean, it is, this is too late. <laughs> it's way too late. Well, there's big, no big to differ. Um, here you go. My reaction. Oh, goodness. You're just, you're so convincing. Yeah. That is just, it is a really natural look on you. It really, um... It'd be funny if you became, uh, it'd be funny, it, hot. It'd be funny, <laughs> it'd be funny if you became... That was just a random, uh, nude still I showed you. Yeah, yeah, that was just a close-up of your genitals. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. So thanks for that. Um, um, you know, I, it'd be funny if you became a priest, like, purely for aesthetic reasons. <laughs> I mean, that would be the reason. Yeah. <laughs> the only reason I was, like, a Catholic. And, um, and then, like, you're, like, going through the training and everything, and you're, like, giving them the right answers, and you're, like, yeah, I, I can book learn. And, uh, and they're, like, oh, isn't it great to have faith? And you're, like, oh, I don't have that. I was, like, <laughs> oh, wait, no. oh, wait, you can just buy these shirts online? I have faith in aesthetics. <gasps> yeah, right. <laughs> you're, like, oh, you're, ooh, <laughs> got in too deep. I, uh, because I had the short sleeve shirt, and I have, like, tattoos on my arms, and, uh, I was I was Oof, I was like that cool priest, priest right? Yes. The one that like comes in on a motorcycle oh, and so like hot. Um, everyone thinks it's super cool, and then like it keeps getting moved from church to church. Like Jim and Tammy Faye Baker's son. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not like in a new Christian way, like in an old Catholic way. Right, exactly, exactly. And, uh, so it, very very Vatican one. But, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah so very bad bad, right maybe right at the cusp um Mm. so between that costume this this past week and novitiate this this week i have been really wrestling with my you've been a real catholic this week yeah wrestling with uh, all of my roots um Mm. around uh uh, catholicism and sexuality (laughs) and um uh, lust you know yeah just those basic things big three big three Um, holy trinity if you will three and one (laughs) I would say one and three. That's pretty much what's up with me. Should we start talking about the movies? Let's get to it. Um, our first movie of the week is Thor Ragnarok. Imprisoned on the other side of the universe, the mighty Thor finds himself in a deadly gladiatorial contest that pits him against the Hulk, his former ally and fellow Avenger. Thor's quest for survival leads him in a race against time to prevent the all-powerful Hela from destroying his homeworld and the Asgardian civilization. Asgard is dead. And it will be reborn in my image. I thought you'd be glad to see me. I need to stop her here and now. To prevent Ragnarok, the end of everything. So I'm putting together a team. Like the old days. Surprise! This will be such fun. Jason, are you uh, familiar with the uh, series of the Thor movies and the other movies that that these uh, we the story weaves into? I've seen all the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. And is it Avengers also? That's uh. It is. It's, it's a... all in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh huh. So you're you're all up to date on everything. I guess so. I wouldn't say that I've retained everything I've seen, mm-hmm. but I have seen it. Okay. And I just went back and reread my original review. I did a, a, a review of the first Thor movie for Spinning Platters in 2011, which mm. I just revisited. Interesting. Yes. Um, this is my first one. <laughs> this is my first superhero movie in... A while? Wasn't there one that we did like a while back and you're like, this was my first one. Oh, maybe it was Deadpool? Maybe. Yeah, so you to me, all superhero movies are hilarious. <laughs> I didn't realize they're all comedies. Real crack em ups. Um, so having seen this movie, yes. let me start with, um, I left the theater saying, 
I'm going to go home and watch the other two Thors. Ooh, did you do that? I went home and I fired up the old internet machine and uh, I was like, well, let me watch the trailer first. Yeah. And I watched the trailers and I was like, these are not the same movies at no, all. No, they're not. Um, you should, what you should do is watch Taika Waititi's earlier film. Right. Who is the director of this film and the reason why it is so delightful. Really amazing. Yes. Have you seen Hunt for the Wilder People? Not yet. And What We Do in the Shadows? No. Okay, well, those are the, those are <laughs> those two, are the to two to watch. Those are the two to watch, right? Not a, Thor and Thor 2. No. Well, you know, his earlier stuff, he had worked on uh, Flight of the Concords, uh, and he uh, had some movies like, I think he did Boy in Eagle vs. Shark. No, I'm familiar with that stuff, but I can confidently vouch for Hunt for the Wilder People and What We Do in the Shadows as two of the most just offbeat, hilarious comic masterpieces in recent years. Whoa. And so um, it was so terrific to see that Marvel went with him. I think as soon as anyone who was familiar with his work heard that he was being brought on to do a Thor movie, uh, everyone got amped. Mm. And it turns out that that excitement was justified. Because what a delight is this movie. Unbelievable. Like, I, I couldn't... It felt like um, it captured kind of like the best that these actors had in terms of like... they. It really felt like most of it was just improvised. <laughs> them kind of goofing around with each other. It does have a very loose feel to it. Like, the reactions uh, to yeah. the jokes were so natural. <laughs> um, it seemed like they were having the best time. Mm-hmm. Everyone from Tom Hiddleston, um, who's like a pretty solemn character, um, to... Uh, I mean, Jeff Goldblum, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about that a little bit later. Sure. Um, Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett, right? Like, I don't, yeah, Chris Hemsworth. I mean, yeah. it was like, it was like watching Saturday Night Live skit, like the best Saturday Night Live skit you've ever seen that's like two and a half hours long. Yeah. I mean, the first two Thor movies were so uh, kind of dour. Mm. They, they, they took themselves very, very seriously. And that's always a turn off to me. Yeah. Especially because they're just fundamentally ridiculous. Like, Thor is a ridiculous character. The mythology of Thor is overly complex. And this movie knows that, and it makes fun of that. In the cast, to your point, like, Chris Hemsworth looks like he's having the time of his life. Tom right? Hiddleston looks like, for once, he gets to laugh at himself. Because he plays such a s- silly, despicable villain character. Right down to his, like, greasy, long black hair. <laughs> um, it finally gets to just laugh at him. Um, and, uh, you know, laughs are had by all. Kate Blanchett, of course, is a goddess who plays a goddess. So meta casting there. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, like the, it, it's it's well, here's the funny thing. So this is leading to like a bit of a, a rift in mm. the um, in sort of the fanboy comic book movie fan universe. Of which I am so interested in. <laughs> over like there are there's there's a faction that feels like these movies the direction that marvel's heading in with a lot of these titles is maybe not serious enough to the point where like it doesn't feel like there are actual stakes in what you're watching Mm. in the movie um you know to which i would say i don't know that i'm ever with that kind of you know with 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 comic book movies with fantasy I'm never that sold on the stakes in the first place. Right. Like I'm, you know, maybe because I just can't, my suspension of disbelief can't really go there. Uh, I'm, I'm in it for the sort of the overall, you know, sort of emotional experience of watching it. Uh, and so some say, and I, I do think that Thor Ragnarok's um, greatest uh, weakness is just its, its plot, its script. Mm. Um, you know, the script in terms of the actual action and story like it's not a fresh or interesting story Hmm, um i feel i feel like the i feel like the narrative itself of thor ragnarok is basically just um a delivery system for which to bring you the jokes of thor Hmm. ragnarok 
Uh, it's sort of a comedy first and foremost. Uh, interesting. I sort of thought I thought it was interesting, and maybe because I don't didn't know the backstory mm-hmm. um, with the idea of um, you know everyone has this perception that their father, um, the king, was so fantastic and so kind, and then there's this whole side that he that Thor and his brother didn't realize that mm-hmm. he had this you know um, and and uh, the introduction of of their sister Hela shows you that there's this whole other side to his history that he was you know kind of an evil king and, and, and there's a lot of, of dirt in his past and I thought that was you're like kind yeah, of complex topple the patriarchy <laughs> uh, yeah that that to me all just smacked of like okay it's our third movie we need to like dig back and figure out some way we can like write in some backstory that we've never mm. referenced before to explain where this character came from and I also felt like the the ending the realization of the ending uh, of what they had to do was interesting mm-hmm. um and and again maybe it's because i don't watch a lot of superhero movies but right. to me this felt like one that um i i don't know there were like a lot of like lost characters um who kind of needed uh direction and reason the the, the part that gets me that got me the most confused mm-hmm. um and maybe this is something that's from the the series is that like these parallel universes between like uh asgardian uh-huh. their home this like fantasy realm and then how they go to earth yeah um that's kind of weird it's super confusing okay um yeah. but I, I mean i guess it's yeah there's there's a portal i don't know yeah there's that walkway mm-hmm. with rainbows mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah pretty. exactly i mean pretty. i guess like, it looks the like the stairs at uniqlo <laughs> i guess like where i just bought a puffy coat Ooh, um, winter's coming it is so yeah it, you know it, it, it's interesting i was like okay well what changed uh in between the second Thor movie, which is called, I believe, Thor the Dark World, and this Thor movie. And I'm pretty sure the thing that changed was that Joss Whedon's Avengers movie came out. Mm. That was the thing that really redirected the whole MCU into this very funny, referential... Is that uh, what I should watch next? Uh, I think, yeah. Direction. Uh, because, you know, there had been... I- Iron Man is generally acknowledged as sort of like the beginning, the beginning... Uh, and Iron Man, the Iron movies are certainly the first two in particular, very funny and, 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 you know, don't take themselves too seriously. But I think it was the voice and the direction that Joss Whedon brought into the Avengers that really fully sort of reshaped the MCU into, uh, the space that it uh, occupies now with movies like this and also the summer Spider-Man homecoming, which was so good and so fun. Mm. Uh, and, you know, and I guess over or on the other side of the room is DC and they're the ones holding it down for like taking yourself very seriously mm-hmm. with lots of, you know, Zack Snyder darkness and bombast and, you know, still some humor here and there. Did you ever see Wonder Woman yet? Oh, uh, yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like that's, you know, it takes it's a little bit more serious than this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, there's like a, you know, it's a little bit of, of lightness to it, but overall. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. Still some, yeah, some blockbuster humor here and there, but mm-hmm. overall very serious. And that's not... Marvel's approach, and so it's kind of like if you and so I think for the Marvel fans who and really real quick, Deadpool is Marvel, right? Well, Deadpool is yeah, Deadpool is kind of like a, a weird middle figure because there are uh, it's like it's like similar to X Men, like technically they're Marvel uh, properties, but they're like not they're like owned by Fox, and so they don't get to come and play uh, with the Marvel movies of this ilk. This is so exhausting. Th- it's like Guardians of the Galaxy is part of this. So like there's there's like next year there's gonna be a giant giant movie called like Avengers Infinity War where all the different movies will come together from like Avengers, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy. Thank God. Yeah, <laughs> all they'll all be together. <laughs> Spider Man and you will get part of it now. Yeah, just a portion, but that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, this is just, you know, it's it's just wow. I mean, Chris Hemsworth clearly, I think his he's sort of like a John Hamm type in the sense that he's so mm. handsome. And, you know, he's had to play, like, 
just sort of pretty square, handsome characters for a while. But then we see like that they really enjoy just being goofy. Yeah, like in uh, Ghostbusters. Like in Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. where he was just a, a marvel. Hopefully, he gets more comedic leading roles. Um, yeah. he's he's very good. He's his, his timing is great. Really amazing. It's really almost upsetting because he is too good looking for a human being. And yeah, like, and I feel like a lot of his comedy is almost like in like a it's like a lot of self-deprecating way. Mm-hmm. It's um it's a lot very of like, charming. Yeah, self-deprecating bro humor mm-hmm. uh, sort of abides in the movie, but not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a part where he like throws something and then it like hits him in the head which is like the most like slapstick you know like silly thing but it's hilarious it, they really mm-hmm. um yeah, very funny and their chemistry the cast chemistry is yeah it's just so good tessa thompson is in the film mm-hmm. as well yeah who i just read is dating janelle monet i'm sorry what yeah, uh, a friend of mine posted an article last night that was not from a, a, a super reputable source, mm. but I did have a bunch of pictures of them together. It like, was your own website. Being affectionate, the binge.us, being very like affectionate together in photos and sort of making a kind of circumstantial case for like why they're mm. a couple. Um, and uh, I mean, I'll, I'll let you know when, send me the link. Send me the link. <laughs> but it's great seeing her in the movie. She brings a lot mm-hmm. of uh, a lot of fun and attitude to it. Um. Much like she did to Creed. Mm-hmm. Um, She's a breath of fresh, that one. I mean, one of my favorite characters is, um, and I don't remember the character's name, um, but it's played by the director, um, the rock character from that's like in that prison uh-huh, yeah. scene. Right. Um, he's fantastic. That was hilarious. Um, it's that very like, I don't know. I feel like not. Maybe it's just the accent that sounds like uh, the Flight of the Concords right. guys, but it's also there's like a timing that's yeah. very similar. Well, I know. Well, you know that's because Taika Waititi. I mean, like yeah. he did Flight of the Concords, right? So yeah. you know he brings same, that same. same sensibility to mm-hmm. this. You want to talk about Jeff Goldblum, I believe. Well, you know, once we're done, are we done talking about all of our favorite things about the movie? Sure. Um, I mean, Jeff Goldblum is amazing, and Jeff Goldblum is a delight, um, and you lose yourself around him however what did you think about i don't know i felt like it had a little bit of like a predatory gay thing going on a little spacey it was a little oh yeah it was a little uh a little spacey uh i didn't get that um yeah i'm always like the last person to like jump up and be like that character is gay uh i didn't think that he was intended to be gay was he interesting i mean i, I mean guess, he was, I guess he was wearing makeup but they were all wearing makeup Sure. I mean, I don't think he it was, was a, little, a very... He was a little fae. Mm-hmm. Uh, which could also not not be yeah. gay. Um, but I felt like he was a little... Um, and I guess this was, this was a blurred line. Cause, so Chris Hemsworth is presented to him, and he plays the, like, uh, well, like king of this planet. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and he has, like... He clearly has an appetite for Chris Hemsworth, mm-hmm. Thor. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and they do say don't it's because all? he... Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's just human, is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, that he is trying to, to recruit him or have him be his his new gladiator fighter. Mm, so I could see which, in that way. Which is very homoerotic in like a Spartacus way. Right. Or like in a, just a gladiator way. Uh-huh. Um, so there's there's this way he's like Sporaticus. clearly looking at his, his physical form in a very right. mouth-watering way. And sure, it could mm. be for profit, but right. also it has a different lascivious tone right. to it. He's also hilarious. When he's like playing that keyboard, it's so funny. <laughs> Um, but I was yeah. just like, that's interesting. No, I, that, I, I, that that didn't jump out at me at all. It's uh, okay, and it's 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 just that it that combination of both being like lascivious and gay is like a, it's, it's, it gives me an uncomfortable feeling. Yeah, I guess I feel like he played it in a way that we've seen so many of that kind of character played, which at, is historically a problem. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I was thinking more, not that it, that depiction is in itself problematic because, like, the character's sexuality is rarely stated. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I did not think about that at all. I, I, I just thought that he was being, he was playing a mildly queeny king, uh, I guess, but not for a second did any sort of sexual component. Probably because I myself was too busy ogling um, Chris Hemsworth to mm. even think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, because he has a shirtless scene in this movie that is just eye-popping. Uh, does it do does, like when you see that? Like I know, like you're not into it, but still, are you like that physique? Well, so what I actually did um, was this is like after he gets in the fight and he's like in the room. Anyway, yeah, there's a scene so, where yeah he's he's like standing like with like low slung jeans, like oh, shirtless uh-huh. in a room with you the can Hulk. see the top top butt cleavage. So I, my response to that scene was I actually took off my IMAX 3D glasses. <laughs> Because I couldn't tell if he's like so ripped that his arms look really short. And I couldn't <laughs> tell if it was like an unintended thing because you're checking like, to see Dad McConaughey arms. Actually, really small, or mm. are his arms normal size? And I took the glass off. And, okay, his arms are normal size. Okay, you heard her here first. Um, but they're just so big. They're like yeah. so muscular that they look a little bit shorter. Um, so I guess that was my initial response was, are his arms really short? Um, fair question. That's it. Yeah. I, I think. And then I guess you, I sort of wondered if there was like. Is there something that you do to look like that? Right. I figured you would go there. Like, is he, did he do like 100 push-ups right before the scene? Did he like inject saline into his arms? I feel like he's like a perennial cover boy of all like men's health and fitness magazines. So yeah. I'm sure that his, 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 his routine is out there for us to engage in if we so desire. Uh, but yeah, it is. it feels like he just genetically has to have a body that lends itself easily to like, it absorbs working out for every, for all <laughs> those of us in the world who work out and like, look at our bodies and say like, why is nothing happening? It's because Chris Hemsworth is absorbing all of our workout energy into his body. <laughs> they just and, woke up like this. Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, great. And, uh, <laughs> and that's that. Uh, Kate Blanchett, uh, as we said. Also he, built like a brick shit house. Built- <laughs> <laughs> um, fucking abs on that woman i swear the, the weird thing um is that she has like this villain hat that shows up whenever she's about to do something villainous but she does it like in a very uh, she like sweeps her hands back over her head and it turns into this like antler hat in which looks a lot like fucking hannibal that's what i thought, oh, I thought every it looked time like she that, did uh, angelina jolie um oh like maleficent oh yeah that's what it is <laughs> Something like that. It looked exactly like the Black Antlers from Brian Fuller's Hannibal show. Mm, yeah, I could see uh, that. She's not in it enough for but my also liking. It's like an Yzma sort of like thing when she puts from Emperor's New Groove. She also has the Real Housewives patented cold shoulder cutouts uh, mm, on her outfit for some means. reason. Rural Housewives love a dress that has like shoulder cutouts for some reason. Is that why you do that to all your t-shirts? It is. Okay. Um, and because, you know, like the Real Housewives, I also hate my arms. Mm-hmm. And so we like to hide those but put our shoulders out. Uh, but uh, but Kate just oh she looks amazing mm-hmm. and yeah she's really not in it enough but when she's yeah. on screen you're just like oh bless you and plus her name is Hella which is very Bay Area friendly <laughs> I have one more problem with the movie okay which is I don't want to have these problems but I do mm-hmm. um, so at one point of the movie uh, when they f- when things first start to take a turn and Hella takes over and uh, Thor and Loki are, are banished from Asgardian uh, so Thor lands on the planet where he meets Tessa Thompson. And so this planet is uh, basically, this is the planet that Jeff Goldblum uh, is, is master of. And it's basically a trash planet where all the refuse from all of the planets ends up. And it's the first time we're introduced to a pack of um, sort of, I don't know, like scavenger warriors who are dressed in a very futuristic but um, a way that plays homage to, um, I would say, African tribal outfits. And so these are like these um, uh, warrior 
garbage people. And then Tessa Thompson shows up um, and she's an alcoholic. So I, f- I feel like, although pri- actually prior to that, when you when they're on Asgardian, I thought it was like very cool that like they show a lot of um, uh, of the people of the city and the of the planet. Um, and it was there was a lot of like, you know, interracial couples and like it was very balanced in terms of like the racial makeup of the of the country, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was fantastic. Uh, I felt like it was kind of a weird introduction to be like, and this is the planet that is clearly like the the um, the black planet where uh, the characters are either drunk or these like um, furious garbage scavengers that are are trying to attack um, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, I didn't pick up on any of the any of the the black planet stuff or the African tribalism or any of that. I did think it was too bad that when Tessa Thompson is introduced, that she is holding like a forty. Yeah, I was and like, she's like wasted. I, I was like, oh. Um, but then they give her a whole backstory, so it's Absolutely. not. Yeah, she's yes. not just drunk because she is drunk. She's drunk because of this. You know, she's self medicating um, and and is very conflicted about what she does for mm-hmm. a living. Mm-hmm. So that I had no problem with, big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just great to see her there kicking ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the, 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 the stuff about the planet, I just, I just didn't notice. You got to keep your eyes open, Jason. <laughs> I was looking at Chris Hemsworth. I'm sorry. Wow. This is a the show is gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it takes away. Sometimes from, to a fault. It's really funny because um, the I believe the well, not the next movie we talk about, but the movie after is a movie where I felt like I was very distraction. Just I was very distracted by attraction. Mm. But then that immediately made me turn and realize like something's wrong here. Well, uh, you on the other hand, are the like, difference being pants out. The difference being that that's a very serious movie, and this is not. Uh, but of course, yes, I, 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 yeah, I just honestly just didn't notice. Like, I feel like I, I noticed the thing about her drinking and holding mm-hmm. a forty. I was like, that's a bad choice. Um, but yeah, I didn't notice anything like African or tribal about the planet. Hmm. Was it because there were, were there dreadlocks? There were some monsters with dreadlocks, weren't there? <laughs> they were they, there were some monsters with good luck um they you, i mean you just have to look at it i guess know. so sorry guys um so yeah those were the two issues i believe i had um the lascivious gold bloom but he's also kind of just lascivious in general in yeah like that's kind of, he was just gold blooming yeah i don't know you know he's sort of like i was you know i was you know i know everyone's really fawning over him right now but i feel like yeah, he had that gq article where he looks like a million bucks in every photo yeah um, but you know, I think that he is like, he's a delight, but he's also kind of like a fundamentally limited actor. Like he, yes. he just gold blooms. That's it. Um, and the- he has one speed, which is gold bloom. And it's a speed that is universally delightful. But you know, when you get gold bloom, you get gold bloom and you're not mm-hmm. going to get versatility. Um, was it in that article or some, or something else I read on Twitter where, um, somebody had shared a story where their friend was on a plane next to him and they were finishing a book and he was like, Oh, did you like that book? And she had like um, 60 pages left or something. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, I, you know, I'm really good at reading books. Do you want me to read the rest of it to you? And then <laughs> on this flight, he read the rest of the book to her in his voice. He sounds like a delight. He sounds like a real treat. Um, America's sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are you giving this one? This is a binge it. All the way. Yeah, it is a binge it. I mean, I, I feel I feel like you're setting yourself up for a disappointment when you start to watch like more superhero movies because if all you've seen is this and Deadpool, like that's a really high bar. I know. I don't know what, what to do. I guess I'll just keep not watching any. <laughs> <laughs> Problem solved. God damn it. Um, so Thor Ragnarok is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of sci-fi violence and action and brief suggestive material. That brings us to movie number two, which is A Bad Mom's Christmas. Underappreciated and overburdened moms, Amy, Kiki, and Carla, rebelled against the challenges and expectations of the Super Bowl for moms. 
Christmas. As if creating the perfect holiday for their families isn't hard enough, they'll have to do it while hosting and entertaining their own respective mothers when they come to It's the most wonderful I've time. always loved Christmas, but as a mom, it's a lot of work. In between the wrapping, the shopping, the cooking, the decorating. Sweetie, we don't drink the tree water. Because we're people, right? Oh, God, make it stop. There's almost no time to actually enjoy it. And only one thing. Oh, no. What is it? Could make it even more stressful. My mother's coming for Christmas. Oh, my fucking God. Well, this is um, one of those holiday movies, holiday comedies. There's one every year, huh? Yeah, there's normally more than one, and this is, I, I think, the, the first, first big one that we're getting this year. Last first. year was Office Christmas Party, right? Yep, that was a movie that happened. <laughs> that was a thing. Yep, we um, reviewed it. And this one, uh, it seems like it's up your alley. It has you know, to do with moms. It comes, uh, that is my, I do live on Mom Alley. You do so live on Mom Alley. So you have that, uh, right. Dead to Rights, you know, is coming fast on the heels of last year's unexpected comedy sensation, Bad Moms. Mm-hmm. Which was one of those movies that we didn't review, and then everyone in the whole world asked me why we didn't review it. Mm. Um, and it was because I think it screened while we were out of town. I don't know. But um, but I did eventually love it when I saw it. I loved it very much. I'm a huge fan of the first Bad Moms movie. Uh, so I went into this with, you know, I would say moderate expectations because that movie came out in summer 2016. Oh, wow. It is today, November 2nd. 2017 so that is too fast that is too Mm -hmm, fast mm -hmm. to be able to crank out a good second film and it shows uh Mm. in the movie we have here and i don't even know like i'm amazed that they were able to get all the uh schedules lined up for all the it's a big cast my goodness is busy doing all those uh whiskey commercials yeah i mean you know like they 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 you know they're buying her all those vacation homes mila yeah i mean can't you just can't you just live on that family guy money you would think so um she was always on everything i know i know and uh but you know she wants some more and uh and so she went and made this movie uh, you know, so we have Mila Kunis, Kristen Bell, and Katherine Hahn all returning uh, in a movie that essentially kind of just uh, copies the structure of the first one, but it changes out the conflict from, like, uh, bitchy PTA ladies who are trying to ruin their rebellious time to just their moms. Mm. Um, in particular, Christine Baranski's character as Mila Kunis's mother, who is, like, a, you know, total perfectionist controlling neat freak mommy dearest type Mm -hmm. which i mean each of the moms is played in just the broadest possible kind of archetype way so christine bransky is too judgy cheryl hines as kristen bell's mom is too clingy and susan sarandon as uh, katherine hahn's mom is basically a criminal (laughs) uh so uh and susan sarandon is slumming hard Mm. in this movie she is she is with two TV actresses as the other moms. These are fine actresses, but they are TV actresses. Mm. Susan Sarandon's a movie legend. Yeah. And I really have to wonder if this isn't some kind of blowback about all the Bernie stuff that she is Just, like slumming it in like this like shitty rush job uh, studio comedy. Maybe she just loved playing a mom so much um, in the... Um, in the meddler. Mm-hmm, that she's like, give maybe. me. She, give me the and, mom role. Well, and the sad thing is that not only is she slumming it, but she's miscast. In the part, it's just not, she's not a good fit for it. Mm. Um, it requires her to be kind of a loose cannon in a way that she is just too poised and composed yeah. as a person to be. Like, this is the role that, like, Lily Tomlin could have nailed. 
uh, or if they wanted to go with a bit smaller age gap, like an Alice and Janney. Uh, Ooh, have you seen the trailer for I, Tanya, I by mean, the way? I've seen, I, I've seen I, Tanya itself. I've seen it oh, twice. Oh, shit. Yes. <gasps> yes. I wish I could be in your mind now the only time I've ever thought that. <laughs> and I want to get right back out. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. It's all Chris Hemsworth. Take your shoes off. Yeah. Uh, it's all mental screenshots of his butt cleavage. So Allison Janney would have been a good person to uh, play his part. This is also your expertise. Like what uh, older actress would be perfect for this um, criminal loose cannon mom role? Like I said, I'm like, if they want to go older Lily Tomlin, they will go younger Allison Janney. Mm -hmm. End of story. Um, But, you know, Catherine Hahn, as with the first film, is the shining star of A Bad Mom's Christmas. And the primary reason to see it, the primary reason it gets any laughs at all, it does not get many. Uh, it's Oof. it's and it's it's one of those things <laughs> where it's like it's not one of those movies where it's painfully unfunny. We've talked about that before. Mm. How like the hardest thing are comedies that are trying and failing to be funny. Yeah, I don't feel like the movie is really or podcasts. I don't feel like the movie is really failing to be funny. It's just sort of like mildly amusing in like a a innocuous diverting way. So it's one of those. Like, huh. Yeah. It's exactly that, where you just sort of like lightly <laughs> smiling and you're like, every now and then you're like, and that's about it. By the way, Ragnarok, I laughed out loud like 10 times. Oh, yeah. Movie. Oh, that's a laugh out loud movie. Okay. Just wanted to make sure that was clear. Absolutely. Uh, but this one is a more of like a <laughs> every now and then. Uh, the, the greatest scene far and away, the, the subplot that I wish would have been its own movie is an unexpectedly tender romance between Catherine Hahn, uh, who plays uh, like a, a beauty technician who does a lot of waxings, uh, there's most of her dialogue is her saying something along the lines of, if I see one more fucking pussy today, so help me. Um, <laughs> and uh, and Justin Hartley, heartthrob star of This Is Us, a show I don't watch. Don't tell me to watch. I'm not going to watch it. Um, but I know who he is, and he's very handsome. And he plays an exotic dancer uh, who comes to her uh, to have a waxing before uh, a local gig that he has booked, uh, doing like a sexy Santa dance on top of a bar. None of these are any way close to how these things work in real life. <laughs> I can tell you all about sexy Santas, let me tell you. Um, but they have Catherine Hahn and Justin Hartley really have a great chemistry, and they are both, they bring a lot of conviction. Uh, and a lot of just confidence uh, to their line readings together. Because like, I think on paper, it reads like a scene out of Showgirls. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but it, it really works. And they have uh, the sort of ongoing sweetness uh, where he's like in from out of town. And she's this, she's, you haven't seen the first one. But you know, she's, Catherine Hahn, uh, her, her character is a little bit older than the other moms. And she's just like a lot more like rough around the edges. And a lot more uh, just sort of, I guess, uh yeah, she's kind of like a hard ass, but she's alone. And uh, and she would like to be with someone. And she meets this nice male dancer. And they have a great, great chemistry together. And I wish they had their own movie. Um, and mm. I would love that movie. I would love any movie starring Catherine Hahn because she's mm-hmm. one of the world's greatest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no surprise here. She's the best part of the movie. Um, even though Susan Sarandon is miscast as her mom. Do you see um, a third movie coming from this? Bad Mom's Easter? It depends if this makes money. Yeah. You know? If this makes money, then yeah, they'll do a third one. Is the chemistry between uh, Mila Kunis and Kristen Bell and Catherine Hahn um, electric? <laughs> Is it electric? Uh, <laughs> no. 
<laughs> is there something you no, want? No, no, no. I was like, do they have like a good chemistry? Um, I or mean, is yeah. Catherine Hahn just running the show? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that she she knows how to not totally dominate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she knows how to be a gracious scene partner and like give them all their moments. But then she certainly plays every moment she has to the hilt and is just delicious. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, they're fun to watch together. But I think that where this movie loses its way, one of the things that I thought was so remarkable about Bad Moms is how how it just so completely taps into this. It was almost like a movie that the universe required to exist because I think certainly our age, um, you know, a lot of our peers are moms now from mm-hmm. high school and just watching all of them on social media. When I saw bad moms come around, I was like, holy shit, this is so genius because like all of these moms are going to relate to this movie. It's going to be like this hilarious comic fantasy of their own feelings of inadequacy in terms of like what society expects from moms. Uh, what schools expect from moms, all the pitfalls of trying to raise a child and feel like you're doing a good job. So, you know, that was something that the first movie did really brilliantly and really, like, savvily. This one just, it has, like, the best premise in, like, in tackling what moms have to do at Christmas, which, yeah. And I also feel like the premise of, like, um, becoming a mom and then dealing with your own mom is a pretty, like, there's a lot there for the mining. Yeah, oh, there totally is. Um, and uh, and this movie just botches it uh, because it just it just loses its thread with any kind of reality. Mm. And it winds up just becoming about these caricatures. It becomes much more about the caricatures than it is about that sort of universal. And the first one tapped into this kind of just this feeling of rebellion that I feel like runs through a lot of suburban moms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one does not so much, where it's less about the moms chafing against uh, Christmas expectations than is about like them just having weird relationships with their own moms. Uh, and, uh, and Christine Baranski is also is is a very funny in this movie. I mean, she knows her way around a line reading, but she's too over the top. It's too much of a caricature. Mm. Like you don't buy her, and they try to give her some backstory around like, well, I'm this way because my mother was this way. Sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 totally out of place in the movie, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, too little, too late. Any actors of color? Um, well, yes, Mila Kunis's, um, now husband, I guess it was her boyfriend in the first movie is played by Jay Hernandez. Um, mm-hmm. and, oh, I don't know. I, yeah, I can't think of, uh, mm-hmm. anyone else. Jada Pinkett Smith was in the first movie, but she's not back in this one. Okay. Um, what are you giving this one? It's a consumer moderation for me. You know, like it was, it's definitely a huge letdown from the first one, but it's not, as I said, it's not unfunny mm-hmm. uh so which is the kiss of death for any comedy so uh it's just sort of a middle brow middle of the road um rush job sequel and uh you know so it's, it's an airplane movie it's a total mm-hmm. airplane movie mm-hmm. yeah when you're traveling for christmas yeah uh yes you torrent it from uh <laughs> from from pirated source and enjoy on your flights uh bad mom's christmas is rated r for crude sexual content and language throughout and some drug use and that brings us to our third movie, which is Novitiate. Set in the early 1960s and during the era of Vatican II, a young woman in training to become a nun struggles with issues of faith, the changing church, and sexuality. A nun? Oh, Kathleen. You're a 17-year-old girl. I was called, and I'm going to become a nun, and there's really nothing that you can say that's going to make me change my mind. Good afternoon, all of you. Since, unfortunately, God can't be here to run this convent himself, my voice will serve as a stand-in for his. You'll be spending the next six months as postulants. After that, you'll enter the novitiate. Any questions? Put your hand down, sister. Postulants don't have questions. 
and you are free to go home. Uh, Novitiate, you've seen it? I have seen it. Mm-hmm. I've also seen it. Oh, we have that in common. Ooh, that's always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, we have three. Three of the four this week. We both saw it, guys. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And by we both, you mean I. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, me, myself, and I. And Rebecca, did you see him? Uh, no. Okay, cool. Um, so I think first and foremost, I think you should know that this movie is written and directed by a woman. It is. Maggie Betts, a woman of color. Know that know that that will save you all of the guilt you feel about <laughs> the sexualization she's, she's talking to herself of the characters that you wrestled with for two hours that you could have just been enjoying freely <laughs> um you know not worrying about if you're looking at this movie through um, the male gaze you're like it's okay it's a female gaze female gaze female gaze <sighs> such time wasted <laughs> Such guilt. It was. It's very. It was all circular. Oh wait, how long did you? Oh, so you. you oh, the whole movie. Oh, so you watched me thinking it was a guy. You assumed you sexist that a guy directed it, and you were like, "What uh, pervert no. motherfucker is making this?" Is reading my mind. <laughs> you felt too seen. You felt too mm-hmm. recognized by like, well, the This text. must have been done by some pervert. <laughs> you like screen the screenplay. You're like, "Oh, Larte, oh, Larte, oh, Larte. No, where control is it? F. Come on. Yes. You're like, did I write this whole thing in some sort of blackout? <laughs> it could have happened. It could have happened. Exactly. Mailed to some producers who just put into production. Um, crazier things have happened. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So this movie is written and directed by a woman. Um, yes. and that's, I feel like that's so important to know. Um, because this movie is incredibly sexual. Like the the, the women. This movie is all women except for mm-hmm. um. Uh, what's Dennis his name? O'Hare Dennis shows O'Hare, up O'Hare right? Mm-hmm. Uh, queer actor. Yeah, shows up to tell the ladies to get in line. Which was the weirdest scene of the movie to me. We'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. Um, but let me just talk about it now. It clearly was not filmed with them in the same room, right? I didn't notice that. It was this like super obvious moment where they were never in the same shot. So they're sitting in two chairs facing each other. <laughs> and it kept cutting from camera to her, cut to him. And then it would be like the kind of the back of his head. And he'd be holding like a teacup. And then he'd cut back to him uh-huh. from his face. And he wouldn't be holding the teacup. Well, it could just be bad continuity. Yeah, this whole scene. There's something really... And like, you think it was like Arrested Development season four where no one was ever in the, in the same, same room? room. Yeah, like it goes, the scene goes on for like five minutes and you never see them in the same shot. Oh my God. It's the really things, weird. The things you get hung up on. I just notice, okay? I just notice. <laughs> yeah, I'm observant, like the characters in the movie. Um, Yes. Uh, the, yeah, so this... Uh, yeah, so it's, so it's all, all women uh, and our, our main character is uh, played by a young actress named Margaret Qualley who... The yes. daughter of Andy McDowell, I found out today. And her model husband. Yes. Uh, so this, there was really no chance that um, this wasn't going to work was... out well. <laughs> you have a crush on Margaret Qualley. I wouldn't say I have a crush, but... Um... Yeah, I would say that I'm very much in love with her. <laughs> There's a difference. <laughs> there is a difference. <laughs> uh, so she plays a young woman uh, who uh, decides to... Uh, she kind of just randomly uh her mother uh, she lives with her mother in the south in the early 60s and her mother's played by julianne nicholson mm-hmm. who is my favorite performance in the movie absolutely hands down she is so fucking good mm-hmm. like this is her in a way i've never seen her she's always great she's very chameleonic but in this she is she's the one who kind of cuts through it all mm-hmm. yeah uh and she has a scene with melissa leo where they go head so to head good. that is like just like cathartically great to mm-hmm. watch 
uh, because she's the only person in the movie who dares really go head to head with her. Because she's like basically she's like you don't scare me. Like nothing that you hold over these girls works on me. Right. So she plays the mother yes. uh, of this young girl, and she and this she doesn't raise her with any sort of religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, uh, you know, in a in a way of uh, you know teenage uh, romanticism, um, her daughter falls in love with the church and decides to become become a nun, which she thinks is a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. And not only does she become a nun, she becomes a cloistered nun who yeah. does you can't leave the property. Um, and uh, Melissa Leo, as the uh, mother superior of this mm-hmm. um, uh, convent, runs a I would call tight ship. Yes, I one review I saw today compared her to Arlie Ermey in Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> She's the nun version of that. It really is very intense. And so when um, when her mother comes to visit her and she sees that she's lost weight and is is just incredibly upset and you know doesn't have you know the respect for the Catholic Church that that, that the mother superior is used to and just it just rips rips into her about. Um, and it becomes this battle of like who has possession of the, of their daughter, whose daughter is she at this point? Mm-hmm. Is she mm-hmm. um, the mother superiors or her own mothers? And which is like very heartbreaking, yeah, uh, and very believable and um, master scene, wonderful, wonderful yeah. scene. Uh, so and we it's so this movie is really it's very it taps into a lot of the sort of the mysticism of uh, of the Catholic experience, mm, especially at this point in time, mm-hmm. right when you're kind of like right. So the other main character in this movie uh, is, is God is God um, who always just sitting next to me watching a movie no um, uh, eats all the popcorn Vatican the second Vatican Council yeah which throughout this entire movie they call Vatican 2 yeah and I had a really hard time believing that they called it Vatican 2 at the time oh I, I don't know I feel like that's something in retrospect that you that, that people started calling it in like the 70s and 80s um, my I mom think was raised was... Catholic and she only ever called it Catholic 2 or Vatican 2 rather two. Catholic 2 <laughs> the revenge Right, I feel like just that sort of like phrasing seems very modern. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and when I learned about it, I also learned about it as, as Vatican II, which I thought was funny at the time. Um, but for for them to call it that, yeah, um, I thought was really odd. It just kept jarring me out of it. But mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm sure that that was um, historically accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, but so um, Melissa Leo uh, gets this information that Vatican II is happening, which. In 1960, what, between 1960 and 1965, yeah. um, the Pope calls uh, together a council to reform the Catholic Church because they're, you know, starting to lose um, uh, customers and uh, they need to make some sweeping changes to modernize the church. Um, and this group of nuns was, you know, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I think when you're, you're in this lifestyle, you're not uh, the kind of person who's comfortable with change. Right. Changing yeah. your outfit. Ever. M- Melissa Leo's character has not left the walls of their convent in 40 years. Right. So at that point, it would have been, what, 1925 yeah. would have been the last time she left those walls. Yeah. Um, so World War II had come and gone. Mm-hmm. Um, Elvis. Yeah. She, um, she just sits there singing across the universe all day. Nothing's going to change her <laughs> world. Don't try it. She's not going to let it. And uh, But then meanwhile, you know, Vatican II comes along with all these ideas that are intent to reform. And then in a way... Um, just completely disempowers and uh, and 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 does away with the uh, entire identity and existence of these kinds of cloistered nuns. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a bit later on in the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what's I I was reading an interview with Maggie Betts today, and she was saying that the inspiration for this movie came from she's reading um, a story. Uh, she's reading I don't know, it was a biography of Mother Teresa, and it was like uh, her letters. And um, and as she was reading it, um, Mother Teresa was writing these these very passionate. She was talking, describing this relationship, this romantic relationship, and she was being very passionate with her language. And um, and Maggie Betts like didn't really know anything about her, and she was like, "Wow, you know, like you know, who was her husband?" And then she was like, "Oh, 
oh, she talking about God. <laughs> she is talking about God. Yeah. And um, and she became really interested in the idea of um, of how a woman can project love. Uh, mm. That was that was kind of what her um, what her uh, seed was that kind of interesting led to this whole movie. She has no background in religion herself. Hmm. And uh, so, but I do, and you do, <laughs> and uh, and I think so. I saw this at Tiff Ding, and I was floored. I was so stunned by it. I I, I thought that it was one of the most uh, just impactful, respectful, like sophisticated, uh, thoughtful depictions of faith uh, that I've mm. seen because it is you know. Hmm. So much about what draws people into religion is is mystery. Uh, people who feel people who are like true believers, so so to speak, people who feel like the actual call, um, they feel like you know this sort of physiological, emotional thing that pulls them into it. And and we see through the eyes of Margaret Qualley's character, like we see what that was for her. And it just so happens that she is around the same age in this that I was when I became a born again Christian. And, um, and we kind of go on a similar journey. Uh, you know, I felt very represented by what she goes through because she takes that passion and that, and that belief and that love and she goes to, you know, organize religion. Uh, and she just has new believer fire and she throws herself completely into it. And then she goes through this extensive process of where she's, you know, first she's a postulant and then she's a novitiate. And this is all in the process to become a, a full-fledged nun. And, uh, you know, and on the, on the way she is, you know, sort of wrestling a little bit with, uh, some of the troubling habits and methods that are deployed by the mother superior. Um, and we see people who've been there longer who start to kind of duck out early. One, there's a great performance by Diana Agron. Mm, um, from, that was amazing. From Glee, just making a great, this is a, a fine redemption moment for Diana Agron who kind of vanished after Glee. Oh and right, she, she's so good in it. There was definitely another one of my favorite parts of the movie was, yeah. was her struggle and yeah. her scenes. And um, you know, and then there are some uh, you know some questions of sexuality uh, and lust that come into play. That honestly, I did not expect at all. I was taken by surprise by that. And uh, you know, and 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 so it's sort of like it 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 presents a conflict. This what I read into it was a conflict that I myself have experienced, mm. which is the conflict between feeling this kind of. Um, this sort of God energy uh, that you sense and that you feel like is valuable and that you cherish and that you feel like is, is this, um, this sort of holy thing. If then when that gets crushed through the gears of an oppressive institution, uh, like an organized religious group, mm-hmm. um, and, um, you know, where, and then ultimately leaves her this question of like, what does she do? Uh, and I was, yeah, I was, I was like, it was singing my life with its words. Uh, <laughs> I felt watching this movie and it was singing, it was singing your wet dreams with its words. Uh, but, uh, for me, it was just my, my actual college years is basically what novitiate is. Um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, it's very meta because I feel like this also spoke to a similar experience that I had much younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we talked about it on the show before I, you know, I was raised Catholic and I went to Catholic school, Catholic high school. Um, and you know, there's a certain period of my life and, and it was a little bit younger than, than this character goes through where I think that the path for me in retrospect was like, 
you know, people are starting to get interested in boys and like that's not of interest, but like this is of interest. And it seems like uh, I, I, without even is figuring the, the whole thing out the at the this, time, the this in that statement is that Catholicism? Try, uh, well, nuns like trying to impress mm. them and have them like you and like be mm. a part of this this world where like you don't have to do those things. And um, and then and then back at this, you know, in this sort of in the 60s or you know even before like the idea that there are very limited options right it's like mm-hmm. you you get married you you know very few people can go to college um or get a job so that's it's kind of like one of the only other options um that there are so it's like yeah. not even necessarily to go in there and like be the fox in the hen house but um but just not have have to like deal with straight dating mm. uh in the world like it's yeah. like an exit route which, which I mean, historically is something that Absolutely. a lot of you know queer people do, mm-hmm. and 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 then unfortunately that has led to some bad shit. Yes. Uh, well, I wouldn't say that that's necessary. Well, that those are yeah. two separate things, right? Yeah, like, they, they are separate things. Um, but I do think that I think that there's I think that sexuality, when stifled, yes. can kind of corrode. Uh, like I think that uh, like if you yeah. And I know that that is, especially right now with the whole Kevin Spacey thing is not a, you know, a, you know, I don't want to say that I'm saying what Kevin Spacey conflated, um, you know, but I do think that uh, that there is, I think that, yeah, I, I don't know that every pre, oh God, this is thorny. Um, but no, I do think that when people really choke down the sexuality and refuse to engage with it in any way, that ugly shit can come of that. And, uh, and I think that, you know, like, I think that it's fluid. And and uh, and I think that yeah I think that you know bad shit happens whenever uh, you just completely crush this part of yourself that is a, a fundamental part of your physicality that needs to be expressed. So I would say it in a different way. I would say that like there are two groups of people that both feel like they cannot interact or get get what they want in um, in the world of everybody else of mm-hmm. of, of heterosexuality. Right, and that's. You know, especially you know, when we're talking about this time, like they're that's queer people, and then an option for them is to to do this, mm-hmm. and then we're I think what we're also talking about is, is maybe people um, with um, pedophiles. Yes, um, so I would say that those are that one doesn't leak into the other, become the other because they're in the situation, but these are two groups of separate people who see their only option for getting what they want as being part of the religious lifestyle, mm-hmm. because it's those are the things that both of them can get one of the things that they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't say that it's like w- you would be go in as like a queer person and then, then that would transform sure. into like some sort yeah. of pedophile situation. I mean, but I, I think g- that I guess I just think about prison and I think about, I think about, you know, I think it's almost like it's a form of captivity. And I think that when you're in captivity that you uh, and you are, um, you know, I think that, I think that when you're in captivity that you will just kind of do sexual things to the things that are weaker than you. Hmm. Um, and so I don't know that it, I think, you know, I think it was, yeah, I think that it has to do with, uh, that kind of almost, you know, Darwinian thing, uh, of just like visiting, you know, so it becomes about power, um, you know, and, and yeah, but I think that, you know, these are all, I think there's a lot of super complex stuff in the ways that sexuality plays out for people who, who join the, join the clergy and, um, and, and sit on it in the ways that it can manifest. But, but yes, I'm definitely not conflating them and saying that, you know, uh, they're the same thing, but, but I think that, you know, to your point earlier, uh, yeah, I think a lot of queer people throughout history have gone into the clergy as a way of just hiding mm-hmm. and as a way of just, you know, opting out of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I certainly, that was the thought that I had, mm-hmm. um, whenever I became born again, when I was 17 and when I was like, 
okay, well, when, when you have that kind of new believer fire, you can't imagine the life doing anything but serving God. And when, you, and when you first start out, you have a very literal idea of that. And you're like, oh, well, this means I need to like, you know, become a priest. End of story. Mm-hmm. Like, what else could I possibly do now that I, and now that I know? About That's this, an option. Right? Now that I know this. Well, not even, you know, it wasn't like a shrewd move for me. It was just like, now that I know this amazing thing, like I need to dedicate the rest of my life to sharing it with people. Well, so, I think that's also like a thing maybe where, um, and maybe this is just my experience, where you take the passion that other people are taking for things like interpersonal relationships and you're transferring it over into into there. So you're not, you're not under, or allowing yourself to understand the full breadth of how you could have fire for people and things in the world and you're just fo- laser focusing it on this, this dedication to God. Well, and I think, well, I think one of the ways that I connected the movie is that I had a very, my whole path was super emotion driven. Uh, so it was not like an intellectual coming to Christ. It was like very, it was very emotional. It was very passionate. Uh, it was very much like a fire within me. And so it wasn't like, I wasn't like making decisions rationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I just want to give every part of my life to it because I felt like, well, this is all that matters. And, uh, and I have been so blind all this time. And so I gave everything to it. And, uh, and my mom, similar to the mom in this story, was fairly alarmed uh, because she had been down this path before. And so I think, you know, I think the mom in this movie hasn't necessarily been down. I think she was probably raised in the church. This takes place in a time when going to church was much more of an expected thing for, you know, a lot of American families. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, my mom was fairly alarmed because she's like, I have seen this before. You know, she had gone to Bible school herself after she went to high school. And, um, and she saw a lot of like, you know, pretty extreme, um, you know, over the top, uh, antics while she was there. And mm-hmm. so she saw me starting to repeat those patterns and she's like, oh boy. And she's had to like stand back and just like take me seriously. Cause I would have known if she wasn't. And she's had to go with me on that journey until like, you know, I, I was in it for a while and, you know, it was a good solid five or six years of, of very intense devotion mm-hmm. and uh and then yeah and then kind of had a you know hit a crossroads one of the things about this movie that um and this is going to sound so ignorant um and maybe it's because i again was raised catholic but um when in this scene when um the mother comes and visits her daughter and um she oh she comes to visit her daughter to, to say that her father had, had died and she's uh she doesn't get to say the information and um, she notices that her daughter looks so thin and the way that um, she she responds to her is like very cold. Um, she doesn't treat her mother with any warmth. She just has to get back to the, she has to get back to work. She has to get back into uh, the convent. And it was the first time where I saw Catholicism as a cult. Mm. Where it's like you're trying to separate people from their families. Right. You're trying to break them down. You're, it's a, you know, it has like a very polygamous type relationship with all these, you know, women that are brides of, of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have just never seen Catholicism in that way. Um, right. And because that's probably not the the way I was exposed to it. Right. It was a lot a lot more casual. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I felt like the feelings that I had when I felt so driven to it were very cult like in that way. Hmm. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think I would relate to that. I mean, there's the group that I was part of all through college. A lot of people called it a cult, and at the time, I didn't think it was, and I still don't really... You're like, we killed all those actresses. <laughs> I still don't really think it, <clears throat> it was a cult, but I think that, I think what this movie gets right is that there's a certain age range that, yes. that really lends right. itself yes. to to really just fanaticism. And the army, like everyone, you know, that's you know, the praise on you at this, yeah. this certain time. This is the, you're just at a certain point in your life and maybe it's partially because you're coming out of high school and you're mm-hmm. looking ahead 
Um, and, and I don't know what's just happening chemically when you're mm-hmm. like 17 to 23. Um, but like that is the age when you are really susceptible um, to like sort of just really pursuing fanatical idealism mm-hmm. um, in, in, a, in a way that at the time you are 100% convinced is the only way to be. And that later in life, you will be shocked that you were that convinced that Mine was it was like the only way to be. 10 to 15. You developed younger than I did. Well, no. <laughs> Um, what, so the other part of the, so back to the, I mean, I'm not the, you know, clearly like nuns, there's the nun fetish world, right? There's there, which is like, you're you like, know, clearly, I'm not the clearly only one. I'm not there's the only me, one we are in my, in my community, um, <laughs> on my forums, um, on my message boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, that's, that's, there's a, there's a, there's a wrongness to that, right? There's this like fetish, uh, you're fetishizing women who are virginal and don't have any control. And, um, and also being raised Catholic, you have a lot of guilt. So I spent this whole movie in like a meta cycle of like, oh my God, this is amazing. What are you thinking? This is terrible. Oh my God. Like it was this whole loop, but, but also the movie, like really like every shot is framed to show like the fullness of the lips of these women and like, um, so like the, I don't know, the way they look at each other. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of sexuality is, is huge in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so to me, that's why I was like, this has to have been directed by, by a man. And then why am I enjoying? Um, I mean, I'm not like, although I did leave the theater being like, everyone thinks I'm here and I'm not even part of the press. <laughs> like, I haven't been that they, embarrassed. They to be, can see my boner. They can see my boner. Oh, gross. Um, but I felt like I was walking out of like some like smut movie, smut movie. And everyone <laughs> you, like, was like, looking at on me. your trench coat and put on your, your fake <laughs> <Sunglasses>. mustache. Right. <laughs> With the nose and the glasses. And they're like, any comment, Rebecca? And you're like, oh, I'm not Rebecca. Leave me alone. Jason Leroy. <laughs> my name is Jason Leroy. I'm a pervert. <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. Well, you I know, don't even. Know. I think it's thorny. I mean, like, there's you know, there used to be a thing called nun exploitation. Sure, yeah. Uh, which is sort of a genre of film that was very big in the '70s in particular. Mm-hmm. And, Vanessa Redgrave. Uh, mm-hmm, oh, we're devils. listing the sexiest nuns. They right. mentioned a, n- a nun story in this movie. <laughs> yeah, like, I have a list ready to Top go. Top sexiest nun: Audrey Hepburn, a nun story. Number two: um, Penelope Cruz and All About My Mother. Oh my god. Uh, number three: Ingrid Bergman in The Bells of St. Mary. You were serious about um, this. <laughs> Just off the top of my head. <laughs> um, wow. What about oh. American Horror Story? Um, oh, sure. Yeah. As- uh, oh, Asylum. There was a bit of, there was an S&M aspect. I mean, that's, those are, those are obviously threads that are interwoven um, deeply. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. I think that, I mean, to, I mean, sexual fantasies are fine. You know, right. I, I think mean, it's I fine. Like it's you know, fine sexual fantasies about like... nuns is totally like, that's not wrong. Um, and I think that, sure, you can ask yourself, like, what piece, what part of the nun thing am I into? And, like, clearly, like, it's a combination of, like, your personal experience as, as well as I think mm. most people are attracted to innocence. Like, right. you know, people aren't, you know, it's, people don't go around saying, like, you know, what I'm really attracted to is just, like, <laughs> the opposite of innocence. Uh, you know, people are really drawn to innocence. They, they find it attractive and people also the enjoy it. The return to innocence, people even. Enjoy, yeah. You're welcome. Um, I mean, was, the whole Catholic Church is so romantic. There's like, you know, there's, there's right, perfumes this and there's and, and robes ritual. and everything is so silky and, and yeah, lush. Which, um, I mean, the movie also does cross over into a bit of, um, uh, yeah, there is some sort of uh, self-flagellation. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Which crosses over into another area entirely. I mean, those things are, are clearly related. Uh, Melissa Leo in this movie, I will say... I think that she's as much of an asset as she is a liability yes. in this movie. Yes. It's like um, 
She gets so there and it's perfect. And then she goes over the top. Yeah. She goes too far. She just goes too far. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, like if you thought Meryl Streep in doubt was intense. <laughs> is she That's on your uh, list? my other list of non-sexiest nuns. <laughs> Meryl Streep in doubt. <laughs> but Amy Adams is on your sexiest list. No, she's not. No, she isn't. No. <laughs> Why? What's wrong with her? Uh, isn't that my type? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, Melissa Leo is, you know, everyone's like, oh, she's for sure going to get nominated for supporting actress. And God damn it. I want Julianne Nicholson to get nominated instead. I want Julianne Nicholson in there. Melissa Leo should not be in there. Like, yeah, she's, she's, she's very, very powerful. But I think that Maggie Betts, first time filmmaker, doesn't know how to rein her actors in yet. And she needed to rein Melissa Leo in. Mm -hmm. And she does not. And, uh, and it just, it just goes, because the movie is so nuanced and, uh, and so, and so thoughtful and so sensitive. And then that character and her almost every interaction is like just, yeah, over the top. Mm-hmm. And I think Melissa Leo really needed her director to be like, okay, like we need, this is not, you are starring in a different movie right now than the one that we're making. <laughs> so we need to bring you in. And that was, I mean, that was true of Doubt. I remember for Doubt, the reviews were like, you know, the rest of the movie is this like thoughtful play, you know, like very stagey kind of provocative hot button drama. And then Meryl starring in some sort of 70s horror film. Um, <laughs> and uh, and if you thought that that was a contrast, wait till you see Melissa Leo in this movie. I do think the only way that you could redeem it and it, and, and it only doesn't really work because it comes at the end is that when you when you realize that she finally has to read to all of the sisters what Vatican II is mm-hmm. and it basically strips them of all of the uh, you know respect and, mm-hmm. and um, what little influence they had, they had. They had. Yeah, right, right. Uh, after giving their entire lives to this um, mm-hmm. to this thing yeah. I think if you were to take that part of the story and that she knew that this whole the whole time we're watching the movie and she's because to me the character was just the problem was that it was just too you it was too flat right it was just like she's terrible and you don't understand why mm-hmm. and then in the very last scene you see like well okay so she's known about this the whole time she hasn't been telling it she hasn't mm-hmm. been uh, uh, affecting the changes or reading it or right. notifying anybody so it, given that if that's the state she's been in for these like what year or two that, mm-hmm. that the story goes through I can I can see it more yeah there's a woman who's dealing with something insane um, and it's just like at the end of it but you don't know that and then the whole time you just think that it's it's just too much yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about that. That maybe you know she is just sort of like she's just spiraling basically over yeah, the course of the it. movie. Um, well, maybe like right prior to the movie, she, mm-hmm. she you know hadn't been so intense yeah, because clearly it's enough to push some of the characters out mm-hmm. who had been there for a while mm-hmm. and uh, and and were fine mm-hmm. with with everything. So no, that's an interesting point. Um, and the whole thing, I mean, this is Maggie Betts' feature debut, and what an amazing debut it is. Yeah, really. I mean, it's beautiful. This movie oh. is. All of the things that we were talking about that that are beautiful and romantic mm-hmm. about Catholicism are, are captured perfectly in this movie. Yeah. And uh, and it's a star-making lead performance by Margaret Qualley. It really is. Uh, she's a terrific. She was on The Leftovers as well. I, mm, yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, and this is uh, she's great. Everyone's great. Melissa Leo is, as we said, complicated. Um, and and you know, it's great. The movie can cor- it, it can hold two sort of contrary thoughts, and it's and it's mine at the same time. Where mm-hmm. on the one hand, like Melissa Leo is a tyrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, um, you know the the church. This is this is the way that women were able to have power in the church, mm-hmm. and uh, and through Vatican II, the church stripped them of that power. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so yeah, it embraces the complexity of it all, and it doesn't have any simplistic, uh, reductive takeaways. No, and it's super hot. <laughs> what are you giving this one? Binge it. <laughs> I'm also giving it a binge it. Okay. Novitiate is rated R for language, some sexuality, and nudity. And that brings us to our last movie of the week, which was actually our movie for last week, uh, which is BPM, our pick of the week. 
In the early 90s, with AIDS having already claimed countless lives for nearly 10 years, ACT UP Paris activists multiply actions to fight general indifference. Nathan, a newcomer to the group, has his world shaken up by Sean, a radical militant who throws his last bits of strength into the struggle. Jason, you know French, right? Um, but... The trailer was all in French, so uh, no trailer for you today, audience. Um, But I don't feel like listening to a clip of this movie would would give you a window into what it's like at all anyway. No. It's such a visual experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Cinematic. Yeah. (laughs) It's the worst audio book I've ever watched. (laughs) But uh, one of the best movies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Even Jeff Goldblum reading it might not save it as an audio (laughs) book, but as a movie, it works splendidly. Wow. This movie, um, we watched this movie on a Sunday afternoon. Yes. Um, what was otherwise a pleasant, wonderful day. We had each just come from a, from a delightful overnight trip. <laughs> yeah, we, we were just been out to the country. Mm-hmm, and we I, got back. We were I getting didn't... ready for our dinner reservations. And I was like, hey, come over and watch this AIDS movie. And you were like, okay. I actually didn't remember what movie it was going to be. Oh, really? And then we got there and um, you were like, oh, this is what it's about. Um and there was a there was mild hesitation. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. I mean, the sun's still shining. That's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Beautiful day. And it cut two hours later, everyone's crying. <laughs> Husks of ourselves, sitting on your couch, mm-hmm. um, just sobbing. And then we had to go to blubbering. dinner. Yes. And at, at a at an oyster restaurant, strangely, I so was, we just uh, sat there picking at our oysters, still choking back tears. Uh, I had read this article that said. Um, to avoid the Sunday blues, make plans for Sunday evening. Make a dinner plan, like plan to go out so that you are looking forward to something until the very end of Sunday. And then you won't be so sad that it's about to be Monday. Alternatively, watch something so depressing that like the fact that you're alive and, and, and healthy m- makes you so happy that you would never worry about Monday. You're just so happy you, that you're you able were, to go to work tomorrow. You were beaming. I really have never been so happy to go to work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, guys, BPM uh, is a movie about ACT UP Paris. Uh, ACT UP is a movement that started in New York in 1989. And uh, and there is already a terrific documentary about it called How to Survive a Plague. Uh, but this is um, this is a scripted narrative feature about its Paris branch. And its filmmaker, its writer-director, Robin Campillo, uh, was himself a member of ACT UP in uh, this time and place. And uh, we have a sort of the, the audience entry point for the movie. This uh, this this young man named Nathan who uh, joins the group, um, his experiences mirror the experiences of the filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, the movie is sort of neatly divided into two halves in terms of the focus. Uh, the first half uh, focuses very much on the actions that mm-hmm. Act Up Paris carries out. We uh, it's all very the whole movie is very sort of cyclical. Uh, it's it's very ritualistic. It's very much about habit and routine, uh, where we see uh, this group meeting together for their um, for their for their weekly meetings, their mm-hmm. WMs, and uh, and we see in these meetings just the most live wire, passionate, intelligent, explosive debates. Mm-hmm. Uh, they felt so real, and they're so captivating to watch. Uh, you wouldn't think that like watching a bunch of actors read lines together about how to do a protest would right? be as gripping and as just electric like as the minutia of like the, trying yeah, to pick a slogan complete minutia makes turns out makes great cinema who knew so uh and so and we are seeing um so we see the a series of actions play out 
uh, we see this sort of rotating door of sort of the political, the personal, and the sexual of the characters' lives. We see them meeting and carrying out actions. We see them dancing off their frustrations at clubs until the wee hours. We see them having sex. The sex is a big part of what makes this movie so radical uh, because most AIDS movies are terrified of sex. And uh, and uh, because, you know, viewing sex as the delivery for the AIDS. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie uh, has, it makes a point of having some super, super hot safe sex. And not only sex, but sex between uh, a man who is positive and a man who isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is radical. Radical. Because I can tell you that in the gay community to this day, uh, that, you know, any, any man who's paused, even if he's undetectable, is going to have a very, very difficult time. So, but even men who are undetectable, but are still, you know, disclosing it out of, you know, in the interest of transparency and trust and respect, uh, are shunned. And, uh, and so... Even now with all the medication available. Oh yeah, even now, even now. Because there's still fear Mm. and ignorance, like like what I just said. And, uh, and so, uh, so the fact... And I guess with like insurance being always on the cutting block, it doesn't, isn't helpful uh, for people in that state to you know feel like it's solved mm-hmm. right uh yeah you don't want to i think it's just a general just a reluctance to put yourself at risk which makes perfect sense mm-hmm. um but it also uh is a very very tough experience sure isolating uh yeah very isolating and very shunning and uh so in this movie has it puts forward this this relationship in a really really transformative way uh, then when we get into the second half of the movie, it becomes uh, more about watching a member of the group fall sick. And, uh, and we watch the fairly inevitable feeling um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, descent of this person. And, but, and we watch the community uh, continue to be a community, continue mm-hmm. to be a family. And I think what's so remarkable about BPM is that it is about the community. It is about a group. It is not about a rugged individual mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. who comes to the front and is the savior. There is no savior in BPM. No, there's no clear... I mean, it's a very realistic uh, depiction of what a group of people and their flaws and their strengths and how they interact. There isn't, mm-hmm. yeah, sort of like a fearless, you know, flawless leader. Yeah, and, and there is a leader of the group, but who's that but who is... Incredibly flawed. Who is incredibly flawed and who is widely hated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, but they all stick it out together and say things like, well, you know, even though we don't like each other, you know, we're still friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I think that this is a movie that I think the world needs now as we find ourselves in, in, you know, the darkest place we've been in a long time, a movie that demonstrates the actual hard, messy, sloppy, uncomfortable work that goes into like making mm-hmm. change. Yeah. Very true. Very true. I think that like, um, sort of that, um, I don't know. There's a tendency for groups, uh, activist groups, right, to have um, to be kind of annoying, right, where there's yeah. just like, and you know, everyone is in the in the effort of being respectful and and valuing everyone's opinion, and like a lack of hierarchy, it makes it hard to come to agreements. It makes it hard to um, affect change because you know there has to be some sort of momentum moving things forward. Um, but this the 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 group in this movie um, has struggles, but but still still does it beautifully and makes it very exciting. Yeah, I mean, it, it shows, and this is something, it's very French in the way that it depicts their their squabbles. Uh, it seems like in general... Mm. Uh, Do you stop yeah. and go have a cigarette? Right, <laughs> yeah. Then, but you yeah. cannot argue you while you're outside and having a cigarette and you come back inside? Smoke. 
you know, like France in general just has a bit more uh, regard and familiarity with sort of like changing democracy. Right, and, organized revolutions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just the messiness that comes with that, you Debate. know, and not having everyone agree with you and, and you know. Uh, so they're not precious about it, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and they are relentless. It's a very diverse group of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know the movie has it really packs a wallop, but it, it's not sentimental. And that I think, as I've talked about on the no, show before, yeah. is one of the things that I um, love most. Is a movie that can move me without being sentimental. Mm-hmm. It's not making. It's not. I think we talked about this uh, with another movie recently, where it's not making a movie to try to convince like straight people about this particular right. experience. No. It's just telling the, this experience. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to make you feel anything, but like if, if you don't, you're a monster. Yeah, basically. basically. You know, it has such high, it has scenes of such beauty and joy mm-hmm. and has scenes of, you know, of just of, of complete uh, devastation. But through it all, uh, you feel the the family connection. You feel a community connection, mm-hmm. and uh, which is illustrated in in just absolutely the most poignant way in the film's finale. Yeah. Um, first in a very sad moment, and then in a in a, just a moment that's like the ultimate sort of essence of what they are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's 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 the whole thing is done so beautifully. Every performance is spot on, naturalistic, believable. I mean, it'll be weird to see these actors play any other role because right, yeah. you just, they're like, this is who they are. Um, it has it a. It do- felt like non actors. Yeah. It feels so natural. It has a, a sort of a documentary verite kind of vibe to mm-hmm. it, despite the fact that it's also gorgeously shot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it, uh, I. Such energy, such excitement. I just love this movie so much. Um, as Rebecca mentioned, uh, we originally we, we didn't get to do a new episode last week. Last week was when this actually opened in San Francisco. Um, and I think it's continuing to roll out this week to more cities. So hopefully wherever you are, uh, you might be a little bit closer to getting to watch uh, BPM. Like, you know, in, you know, you're talking about it is, it is, it's emotional, but you know, w- would you fit, would you say it was like crushingly sad? No, no, because it, you're not surprised by what happens. Right. Um, and you are um, uplifted. Um, a little bit, and again, not purposefully. It's not like a oh, look at how strong or brave these people are. Mm-hmm. Um, but just by the by the community, as you mentioned. Um, so no, I wouldn't say it's crushing. Like um, I don't know, some stories could be. It mm-hmm. just it just feels like you. It earns it. You've you know read something tragic in the news, or mm-hmm. you've had a loss. It it feels that way, not and but but yeah. I mean, I guess it isn't something that's going to like devastate you maybe i don't know it is also i don't know it's kind of one of those things where um thinking about the struggles they have in the movie their main sort of adversary is this um is like a pharmaceutical Mm, organization mm -hmm. that uh that is not that is basically not giving them the information that they need um so that they can know how to proceed because this is a point in time where there's still generally there's still pretty much like a panic about Mm -hmm. like what you know where where what is the treatment what can we do and um, and it, the funny thing is that it's still so respectful in such a French way. Even their communication with, oh, yeah. like, when they have meetings with the pharma reps, um, and the pharma reps are like, "We are very sympathetic to you, and we want to help you." And the activists are like, "Fuck you!" Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, "Man, uh, that is, yeah, that is not the situation that we find no. ourselves in currently not as a country. All. The gulf is a bit wider." 
Just a tiny bit. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, but with that all said, I think this movie is just life itself. This movie is just, pu- it's like a pure, <laughs> it's like a pure life force like to it's me. It's just this movie, just birth, death, and everything between. Yeah. You know, the movie is just, it, it just, it just pulses with life. I'm giving and, it and a it, take and consume moderation. <laughs> it's a consume minus, maybe. Uh, you know, it just feels like you can feel the raging of life because, you know, you can feel, and this is these, would these you say pe- you feel the rage are, against the dying of the light? Maybe. Um, what's this dangerous minds all of a sudden? <laughs> uh, but, That's why I'm uh, sitting in my chair. Bob backwards. Dylan, Dylan Thomas. Oh, here. <laughs> I knew I recognized that leather jacket. Um, and those clip on blonde bangs. <laughs> not not fooling anyone. So anyway, BPM is great. Uh, it, binge it all around. Binge it. It's our pick of the week, even though we also love Thor Ragnarok and Novitiate. Yeah. I would say if this had been the pick of last week, then my pick of this week would have been Thor Ragnarok. Over, over Novitiate? Yeah. Because you just don't, you're like, I only kind of like that movie. What? what I don't guys? know what you're talking about. I've never seen it. Never <laughs> that was another Rebecca Lerte. <laughs> she was wearing a mustache, I think. <laughs> Wasn't he? Did you guys see that? Um, BPM is unrated, but um, it would probably be NC-17 for some graphic sexuality. And that is it. We're done. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Binge. You can find us on iTunes if you're an Apple iPhone user. And on Android, you can use Stitcher or the SoundCloud app. Check out the website, thebinge.us. Um, Jason is on Twitter at... XS Faggage. Guys, we're also taking next week off, by the way. Uh, but we will be back. We should be back with a new episode uh, on the 17th of November. Um, thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.